Chapter thirty three of Eldorado by Baroness Orzy. Read for LibriVox.org by Karen Savage in September two thousand and seven. Chapter thirty three. Little Mother. The two women, both so young still, but each of them with a mark of sorrow already indelibly graven in her heart, were clinging to one another, bound together by the strong bond of sympathy. And but for the sadness of it all, it were difficult to conjure up a more beautiful picture than that which they presented as they stood side by side. Marguerite, tall and stately as an exquisite lily, with the crown of her ardent hair and the glory of her deep blue eyes, and Jean Lange, dainty and delicate, with the brown curls and the childlike droop of the soft, moist lips. Thus Armand saw them when, a moment or two later, he entered unannounced. He had pushed open the door, and looked on the two women silently for a second or two, on the girl whom he loved so dearly, for whose sake he had committed the great, the unpardonable sin, which would send him forever henceforth, Cain-like, a wanderer on the face of the earth, and the other, his sister, her whom a Judas act would condemn to a lonely sorrow and widowhood. He could have cried out in an agony of remorse, and it was the groan of acute soul-anguish which escaped his lips that drew Marguerite's attention to his presence. Even though many things that Jean Lange had said had prepared her for a change in her brother, she was immeasurably shocked by his appearance. He had always been slim and rather below the average in height, but now his usually upright and trim figure seemed to have shrunken within itself. His clothes hung baggy on his shoulders, his hands appeared waxen and emaciated, but the greatest change was in his face, in the wide circles round the eyes that spoke of wakeful nights, in the hollow cheeks and the mouth that had wholly forgotten how to smile. Percy, after a week's misery immured in a dark and miserable prison, deprived of food and rest, did not look such a physical wreck as did Armand St. Just, who was free. Marguerite's heart reproached her for what she felt had been neglect, callousness on her part. Mutely within herself she craved his forgiveness for the appearance of that phantom which should never have come forth from out of that chaotic hell which had engendered it. "'Armand!' she cried and the loving arms that had guided his baby footsteps long ago, and the tender hands that had wiped his boyish tears, were stretched out with unalterable love toward him. "'I have a message for you, dear,' she said gently, "'a letter from him. Mademoiselle Jeanne allowed me to wait here for you until you came.' Silently, like a little shy mouse, Jeanne had slipped out of the room. Her pure love for Armand had ennobled every one of her thoughts and her innate kindliness and refinement had already suggested that brother and sister would wish to be alone. At the door she had turned and met Armand's look. That look had satisfied her. She felt that in it she had read the expression of his love, and to it she had responded with a glance that spoke of hope for a future meeting. As soon as the door had closed on Jeanne Lange, Armand, with an impulse that refused to be checked, threw himself into his sister's arms. The present, with all its sorrows, its remorse and its shame, had sunk away. Only the past remained—the unforgettable past, when Marguerite was little mother, the soother, the comforter, the healer, the ever-willing receptacle wherein he had been wont to pour the burden of his childish griefs, of his boyish escapades. Conscious that she could not know everything—not yet, at any rate—he gave himself over to the rapture of this pure embrace, the last time, mayhap, that those fond arms would close round him in unmixed tenderness—the last time that those fond lips would murmur words of affection and of comfort. To-morrow those same lips would, perhaps, curse the traitor, and the small hand be raised in wrath, pointing an avenging finger on the Judas. "'Little mother,' he whispered, babbling like a child, "'it is good to see you again.' "'And I have brought you a message from Percy,' she said, "'a letter which he begged me to give you as soon as may be.' 
"'You have seen him?' he asked. She nodded silently, unable to speak. Not now, not when her nerves were strung to breaking pitch, would she trust herself to speak of that awful yesterday. She groped in the folds of her gown, and took the packet which Percy had given her for Armand. It felt quite bulky in her hand. "'There is quite a good deal there for you to read, dear,' she said. "'Percy begged me to give you this, and then to let you read it when you were alone.' She pressed the packet into his hand. Armand's face was ashen pale. He clung to her with a strange, nervous tenacity. The paper which he held in one hand seemed to sear his fingers as with a branding iron. "'I will slip away now,' she said. For strangely enough, since Percy's message had been in Armand's hands, she was once again conscious of that awful feeling of iciness round her heart, a sense of numbness that paralysed her very thoughts. "'You will make my excuses to Mademoiselle Lange,' she said, trying to smile. "'When you have read, you will wish to see her alone.' Gently she disengaged herself from Armand's grasp, and made for the door. He appeared dazed, staring down at that paper which was scorching his fingers. Only when her hand was on the latch did he seem to realise that she was going. "'Little mother!' came involuntarily to his lips. She came straight back to him, and took both his wrists in her small hands. She was taller than he, and his head was slightly bent forward. Thus she towered over him, loving but strong, her great, earnest eyes searching his soul. "'When shall I see you again, little mother?' he asked. "'Read your letter, dear,' she replied. "'And when you have read it, if you care to impart its contents to me, come to-night to my lodgings, Quai de la Ferre, above the saddler's shop. But if there is aught in it that you do not wish me to know, then do not come. I shall understand. Good-bye, dear." She took his head between her two cold hands, and as it was still bowed, she placed a tender kiss, as of a long farewell, upon his hair. Then she went out of the room. End of chapter 33